Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Hello, friends. Our scripture passage for today is Psalm 88. Lord, God of my salvation, by day I cry out, even at night before you. Let my prayer reach you. Turn your ear to my outcry, because my whole being is filled with distress. My life is at the very brink of hell. I am considered as one of those plummeting into the pit. I am like those who are beyond help, drifting among the dead, lying in the grave, like dead bodies, those you don't remember anymore those who are cut off from your power. You placed me down in the deepest pit, in places dark and deep. Your anger smothers me. You subdue me with it, wave after wave. You've made my friends distant. You've made me disgusting to them. I can't escape. I'm trapped. My eyes are tired of looking at my suffering. I've been calling out to you every day, Lord. I've had my hands outstretched to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do ghosts rise up and give you thanks? Is your faithful love proclaimed in the grave, your faithfulness in the underworld? Are your wonders known in the land of darkness, your righteousness in the land of oblivion? But I cry out to you, Lord. My prayer meets you first thing in the morning. Why do you reject my very being, Lord? Why do you hide your face from me? Since I was young, I've been afflicted. I've been dying. I've endured your terrors. I'm lifeless. Your fiery anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They surround me all day long like water. They engulf me completely. You've made my loved ones and companions distant. My only friend is darkness. So as you can probably tell, today is the uh, feel-good sermon of the series, uh, the topic being sadness. Um, but why don't we come together in a word of prayer and uh, prepare our hearts for what God might have to say to us today. God, thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up even when it feels like you're nowhere to be found. Thank you for walking with us, even when it feels like we walk alone. Thank you for helping things to make sense when everything feels senseless. And so we invite your spirit into this space to do what your spirit does best, which is help bring clarity, open our hearts and minds, and enacts ushers in, invites change, transformation for greater wholeness. May it be so today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of days ago, uh, my daughter, Sela, did something that was in no way 
cute or redemptive, except for the fact that now I'm using it as a sermon illustration. Um, And without going into too much detail, I'll say, uh, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you probably saw this. Um, She did something in the bathtub that she absolutely should not have done in the bathtub and should only have done in the potty. And I was not amused, and I tried to make sure she knew. But you know, she's begun sort of like testing out her people skills, and um, while she could see that I was upset, she appeared to not be concerned about it. Even though I kept saying, bad, no poo-poo in the bathtub, because that's what happens when you are an adult talking to an ad- a toddler, she soldiered on trying to make me forget how I was feeling or pretend that nothing had happened. And as the one doing the fishing out and the cleaning and the refilling of the tub, believe you me, I was not forgetting anytime soon. So this back and forth of confrontation and denial uh, continued until Rich returned from the store And I told him what happened in front of her, and then she burst into tears, angry tears paired with a wailing and a bright red face. And now, I wasn't trying to make her feel unhappy, right? But I needed her to understand and acknowledge that what she had done was something so not okay that there was just no way she could cute her way out of it, right? She needed to face what she had done in order for us all to move forward. Unfortunately, these are not lessons that all of us have learned, or even if we have learned them, right, uh, we don't necessarily want to keep learning them. So we deny, right? We deny our history, we deny our present, we even deny our future, right? We distract and deflect and rewrite our narratives to fit our comfort zones. We say that America was once great. We say that all lives matter. We say the slaves were well fed. We will do everything going to further and further extremes to preserve our purity narrative of rightness, of our exceptionalism. We will tell ourselves that it is perfectly fine to stand your ground and shoot someone who feels threatening to you. We will tell stories about how poor people are not just responsible for their poverty, but that it somehow reflects their moral failures. We will mutter that she was asking for it, for trying to look pretty, or attractive. We will spin our yarns until we're so tangled up and bound ourselves up by denials, our rationalizations, our projections of pain and powerlessness. We say all the things that help us avoid or delay pain and what it might mean to have to face the difficult task of taking a good, long look at ourselves. In this sermon series, Inside Out, we've been examining the power of our emotions through Psalms. And at this point, by Psalm 88, we've entered into a period of poetry and music and prayer that was written after Israel, God's people, had been conquered and taken over. And their temple has been destroyed, and everything about God and their faith feels broken. And so Israel got to this place, though, after like a hundred years of being warned by prophets and poets and the mounting collective wailing of people being crushed by the willfully ignorant elite. It wasn't like they didn't have any warnings, right? They had gotten to this place because they were so bent on believing that they were exceptional. That this idea that because they had a special relationship with God, they could do no wrong, right? Because God had them, and they had God. But here's the problem. In the years of believing that they worshipped in the chosen city, that theirs was the chosen king, that they worshipped in a chosen temple, they completely lost sight of the entire point of all their chosenness. Obedience to God. 
which means not only faithfulness to God, but also faithfulness to one another, to take care of each other and hold each other up. And because they had so focused on building military and political dominance, so focused on the amazing music and beautiful temple artwork and robes and incense and the whole thing, they got wrapped up in the performance of Sunday morning, which really is Friday night for them. They got so wrapped up in the spectacle that they completely forgot that worship is not just what we do on Sunday morning, right? But what we do, as Antonio was sort of talking about, with our hands and feet and all the other places and ways that we live out our lives. They've forgotten the part about caring for the widows and the orphans and the least of these. And there are all these prophets out there saying, yo, get it together, people. God's patience is not long for this kind of negligence. But the wealthy elite and the religiously powerful were just too busy side-eyeing those Bernie bros and folk who had really legit struggling to make it. So finally God gave them up to what they were so bent on making happen. God let them implode on their selfishness and greed and willful ignorance. And so here we are, fully into the implosion, and we have this prayer. And I'd say that this prayer is about step four of the grieving process, if you're familiar with denial, anger, bargaining, and then depression. A prayer that says, I got nothing. I got no one. And so the one request in this entire psalm, the one request in this prayer is, Hear me. Turn your ear to my cry. This prayer, this prayer in Psalm 88 is a last resort prayer, really. Do you hear it? I'm like those who are beyond help, drifting among the dead. I'm basically dead. Lying in the grave like dead bodies. Those you don't remember anymore, those who are cut off from your power. You placed me in the deepest pit, in places dark and deep. Your anger smothers me. You subdue me with it, wave after wave after wave. You've made my friends distant. You've made me disgusting to them. I can't escape. I'm trapped. My eyes are tired of looking at my suffering. And as lonely and as painful as this prayer is, this is where God says, "Ah, now the work can begin. Because you see, the work of spiritual transformation, the paradox of the spiritual life is that unless we are brutally honest and continually humble ourselves, we will not be able to see ourselves clearly enough, examine ourselves truly enough to transcend who we are and where we are so that we can become who God created us to be and live what God purposed us to live for. We want this last part, right? We want the becoming who God created me to be part and the living God's purpose part, right? There are books, like, basically with those titles. But we will fight tooth and nail to avoid actually having to do the work, having to walk the path that will get us from here to there. And I don't blame anyone for it because it's really, really hard, and it's really, really painful. It's a path paved with loss and grief, and sadness. It's a path lined with the flora and fauna of sorrow and loneliness and powerlessness. It's a way of tears and sorrow that shows us our limitations, that shows us where we end and something much bigger than us must begin. And so unless you cultivate it, right, this pain and this sorrow will only come to you when you are completely out of resources, out of ideas out of energy to try or even to live, when you are backed into a corner. 
It's a place of realizing just how small I am and how outnumbered and overpowered by the world I live in is. But coming to this place of acknowledging how small I am, of how much bigger the world is, this is actually what enables us to begin looking at ourselves with honesty and humility and open ourselves to God's inbreaking. This is why the Apostle Paul says, in my weakness, Christ is made strong. Because if we don't, if we don't allow ourselves to experience the pain of the world we live in, the pain in our lives, the tragedy of our shortcomings, we will never find a healed whole way forward. If we don't allow ourselves to experience and express the pain of our defeats and losses, we will become tight and hard and angry and violent. Do you know people like this in your lives? If we don't know how to transform our pain, we will transmit it. If we do not transform our pain, we will transmit it. When I tell the story of how I came to faith, one of the things that I share about is how the family I came from left me very lonely. We were all in our own spaces, uninvolved in one another's lives for basically as long as I could remember. And I had grown to kind of accept a sort of sadness, aloneness. I had started, um, I'd started going to this church down the street, and after a while, um, I saw that people had a spirit about them, a kind of confidence about life, what life was for, how it should be lived, and I wanted this. I wanted to be inducted in this kind of community, to have some of what everyone else seemed to have, this like sense of, of sureness. So when I was asked to accept Jesus into my life, I said yes, even though I didn't really know what that meant. I just thought, like, at least maybe it'll help me to have what they have, right? And so over the months and the years, I tried. I tried so hard to get what people had. I tried to be the perfect Christian, as it was outlined. But somehow, I was still alone. It took me many years, through high school and college, and even a bit after that, before I realized something. I would drive out to this park um, at night that had a really beautiful view of the city, and I would fight with God in my car. I'd like lock all my doors, <laughs> and then I'd just like have it out with God. And I was like one of those crazy people, because I knew people could see me, but I just didn't even care, you know? I had to work it out. So I'd sit in my car, and I would argue with God and demand something, something from God. I didn't even quite know what it was. I wanted to be rescued out of my existence. I just wanted things to be better, just to be better, inside of me, right? And after a while, like probably a year, I realized that no one was going to rescue me. My church friends weren't going to rescue me. My job wasn't going to rescue me. Even God was not going to rescue me. No one was going to swoop in and make it better. I realized that not only that only actually I could rescue me and that God's promise was that God would companion me through it. That God would make available the things that I needed to make it through. I realized that the journey to the cross was not made on my behalf so that I didn't have to make the journey, but to show me that the journey can be made. Here's another way to think about it, and this might be somewhat controversial for some folks. Jesus didn't die for me. Jesus died with me. Jesus died 
and dies every time I choose to be honest about who I am and who I have yet to become. Companioning me, walking with me as I walk the path of sorrow and loneliness. Telling me, showing me that I can do it. That it's been done. And it, this doesn't mean that I think it's all up to me, right? It's, I'm not saying uh, that we should all just like pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. What I mean by all this is that the walk of faith, the walk of growth, the walk of spiritual maturity is a walk that's filled with pain, but that it is a pain we can move through because of who walks with us. Nothing, no one can walk with us the way that Jesus can. When I was preparing for this sermon, I kept hearing this song that we'll be singing soon during communion, As We Cry. It's called As We Cry. And there's this line that kept running through my mind. There's a God-shaped hole in my heart. There's a God-shaped hole in my heart. I'm still a lonely person. But what I've realized is that, in many ways, life is actually a pretty lonely experience. We can be partnered, and we can have a family, and we can have the perfect job or the perfect home, but there will always be something missing. We can never be fully known. We can never be truly filled or loved in the ways that we most deeply need it, other than by God. And maybe that feels very dissatisfying to you. I'm sorry. There's a God-shaped hole in our hearts. We can throw all the things we want into it. Food, shopping, sex, work, alcohol, children. But nothing can fill it but God. Nothing can fill it but God. Nothing can quench our thirst but living water. Nothing can satisfy our hunger but the bread of life. There's a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and the only way to fill it is by walking the path of our lives and ourselves with honesty and humility. And that path is often a path marked by a sadness or a sorrow of some kind. Sadness, a sadness that cracks us open in ways that we realize substitutes won't do the trick. Only the way of truth, which is often full of truths we'd rather not face. If you read the Gospels, you'll see over and over again that Jesus invites us toward sadness and sorrow. The leper who no one would touch, the bleeding woman who everyone avoided, the mentally ill man that was called demon-possessed, the prostitute who poured out expensive perfume as a gift, as an offering, and was reminded that she was nothing but a whore. These are all stories in the Bible. What do you think they felt? What was their ongoing emotional companion? Joy? Connectedness? Love? No. It was pain. It was isolation. It was despair. Loneliness. And there, the man with his gaping wounds that would continually rip open, and the woman whose blood wouldn't stop flowing no matter what medicine she tried, the man who kept beating his head against the rocks because of his inner torment, and the woman who laid herself before men, there Jesus went and invites us. Jesus chose them. Jesus loved them. Jesus lived and died and rose for such as them. Lonely people, hurting people, people 
who in spite of all they were, chose to cry out, Heal me, Lord. Love me, Lord. Don't overlook me, Lord. I'm as good as dead, but hear my cry. Jesus invites us into that space for one another and for ourselves. You know, Jesus never said, worship me. That's what the tempter offered him in the desert, right? Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Follow me with love into this pain. That was his ministry. Follow me with courage into the unflinching honesty of this world. That's the cross. Follow me with hope into what this world can be. That's resurrection. Follow me into these spaces that feel like your old self just can't fit. And in your dying, you will find a new life. I'm still on the path of tears, as you can see. But I can see how God has been at work, transforming my pain, slowly but surely. And as the old, old tears dry up, new ones surely will fall. But that's what it means to be alive in the world we live, right? That's what it means to live a life of faith, as Brene Brown puts it, wholeheartedly. To open ourselves to the pain to hold it, and to move through it. That's what it means to be spirit strong. Do you really want to grow spiritually? Really? Do you really want to grow spiritually? Because it means being honest about your pain. It means being courageous enough to look at it, to sense its weight and feel its edges, to enter its chaos and anxiety, and continually ask God, invite God to transform it into something new, something life-giving, something strong, God-strong. Because we only have two options when it comes to our pain, right? Transform it or transmit it. Transform it or transmit it. Transform it into something powerful and alive, something that heals and makes whole. Or transmit it to those around you to the next generation, to the people you love, inflicting wounds that fester and stay open, never quite healing properly. Do you want to grow spiritually? Well, I'll go old school and say, let Jesus be your guide. Make a courageous choice to transform your pain. To let it be more than a thing that hurts, right? It will never stop hurting, but let it be something more than a thing that hurts. Instead, a source of new life, a birthing pain, a mysterious kind of life that knows a thirst that's quenched by living water, a wondrous way of being that understands that fully living means truly dying. And see what happens. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of sadness even as we struggle against it. We thank you that somehow in that mysterious way only you can do it you can transform our pain you can transform even the death we experience into a conduit of new life and so we pray God for courage we pray for the courage 
to enter the painful places, to follow you and not just worship you, because we know that in following you, we are truly worshiping you. To help those, which is sometimes ourselves, know that we're not alone entirely and that we have the things that we need to make it down this way of tears, this path of sorrow. Because you are the one that everyone calls the man acquainted with sorrow. So help us to follow your example in the form of Jesus, to be brave enough, to love enough, to be weak enough so that you can be strong. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.